Happy versus Flourishing, episode 23. Welcome to another episode of the podcast where we give you ideas on small ways you can improve aspects of your life, your quality of life. Today, my guest is Timothy Moser, who has a, a business called Accelerated Spanish, which helps people to learn to learn Spanish in a very different way from the conventional ways of people like Duolingo and the uh, sort of methods that most language learning tools and apps and so on use. And he also has a, uh, a website called masterofmemory.com in which he uses memory techniques to help you learn various things and that's what he's applied to learning Spanish using these various memory techniques to make it much more stickable and to learn it in a way that really helps you to be able to converse better rather than simply have a good vocabulary because those two things are not the same and if you've if you've learned a language before you you'll realize that so we're going to be hearing from Timothy very soon if you do like this podcast why not leave a review for us so other people can uh, get to know about it and please do subscribe right now time for this week's episode with Timothy Happy versus flourishing. My guest today is Timothy Moser. How are you, Timothy? Doing all right. How are you, Tony? I'm pretty good. And where are you today? I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, kind of hunkering down uh, as I have been for the last year in my hometown. How are things there? Well, I mean, they could be a lot worse. Um, mm-hmm. Tulsa is an awesome city. I'm very proud of my city. I love it a lot. I live in a great place where I can just hop on my bike anytime I feel like clearing my mind and jump on the trail and really be anywhere in town. Um, I don't have a lot to say about the state of Oklahoma, but this, the city of Tulsa is definitely my town. Okay, it's not a place I've ever been. I, I think the only thing I know about Tulsa is that 24 hours from Tulsa. I can't say that yeah. I know much else about it. It's also a great coffee town for its size. It's a small small to medium-sized city with, I'd say, about 10 different independently owned uh, coffee shops that are quite good and mm. uh, a really good food town as well, if you're a foodie. And you've, been, um, you've done quite a bit of traveling, haven't you? I have. I've lived in uh, Argentina. I've spent... I, I tend to like to go to different cities for... A month or two at a time. Um, the longest stint was I, I spent three months in Buenos Aires and then two more months in Buenos Aires in the same year. It felt like home, uh, but I, I haven't been back since 2015. I've spent a couple of months uh, traveling around Europe and uh, I've made second homes out of New York and, uh, and San Diego as well. And, and I know that you, well, I'm not sure which, which one to explore first though, because of you're, you help people with memory and you help people with Spanish, like learning Spanish. So which one came first? The memory one came first. And what's funny is my first online presence way back in the day was actually a productivity site where I was teaching productivity techniques and efficiency and so on. Mm. One of the main passions that was kind of a branch off of that was memorization and mnemonics because I mm. like to shortcut the learning process and try to learn things better by learning them by learning the foundational materials faster and then expanding from there. That turned into its own website in 2014. And then what spun off from that was the Spanish course that we kind of released and published there. 
and that has spun off into the main thing that I now do. Uh, so it's kind of a tangent of a tangent, but each one got bigger. And when you were doing the, the memory stuff, was that, or I mean, how, how was it that you first got into that then? I'm not really sure. I think that uh, it's just been a project of mine for a long time. I One of my major flourishing goals is to learn as much as I can about the world around me, about the universe, and about people present and past. I just think that the more knowledge that I have, the more complete I feel personally. And so I've mm. always been studying and, and uh, working on techniques for doing that well and effectively for pretty much my entire life. And my brother and I had the idea of just starting a website where we'd uh, this was back in the day of like niche sites. We thought we would just publish a few articles and see if we could get some revenue going there. Um, the way that it evolved was it turned into a daily podcast. I've, I think we have about 400 episodes of that podcast uh, that exist. And that spun off into several different ideas for courses and so on. The only one that really developed into maturity was the Spanish course, and that turned into a career. And just for in case anyone is uh, intrigued, what was the podcast called? Is that still Master of Memory? Yeah, Master Master of Memory, Memory. and it's still active. It's still well, it's live. I should say it's not active. No new episodes have been published for quite a while. I do Mm -hmm. have ideas for reviving it, but in a different format than it currently is. And it was a Q and A show. People would ask, "Hey, if you had to learn coding really fast, how would you do that? Or if you want to memorize historical facts from the last hundred years?" How would you, what kind of mnemonics would you use, um, and so on. And mm. I did five to 10 minute episodes on each question. And so, how did the transition to teaching Spanish come about? My original idea with Master of Memory was that I would try to cover the different realms of the human experience with ways that, uh, you know, means of accelerated learning. Mm. And one of the first and most obvious ones was learning a language because Mm -hmm. it's one of the core ways that we have an experience as human beings is the way that we communicate, the way that we think, everything surrounding learning a language. I personally was wanting to learn Spanish myself, and so I devoted a lot of time to both researching other people's techniques and resources for how to learn a language, but then Mm -hmm. applying it with some native-speaking linguists that I hired to produce the materials with me. They corrected my mistakes. They helped set me straight where I was very wrong. And they helped teach me and my students. And it just developed into a course that was basically worth devoting my career to much faster than I thought it would. And it's, I mean, it's pretty unique. I've never seen anything else like that. It's a really cool way of learning a language. Well, thank you. It it uh, emerged from several techniques that I had looked up, but especially from the concept of using a memory palace that is divided by word categories. Um, I know that this isn't a language learning show, so I don't know if you want to dive into the nuts and bolts of how that works. But essentially, I saw something that I would have liked to use myself that mm. didn't exist. And mm. so I just went about trying to produce it for me and forever, whoever else happened to want to come along with me well i mean just i mean for people listening are probably curious now as to, as to what it is that's so different about your your course or you know the, the style that you do so just do you want to give a sort of explanation about going too deep yeah the main things are that we 
you know, most language learning programs teach you, uh, they think of language in terms of labels for different objects. So like, for example, in order to learn Spanish, I can look around the room I'm in right now and see different objects like window and fan and wall. And therefore, I think that I need to learn those words first because they're the most obvious and and the most um, evident to me. But in reality, a language does not consist mostly of those labels, the labels that we place on objects. Instead, a language consists mostly of syntax, which is the tiny little words in between the labels that hold the sentences together. The most frequent word in the English language is actually the word you, Y-O-U, and then we have words like the and a and so on. And, of course, prepositions like to and from and so on. Those words don't really translate well between languages. So ultimately, the first things to learn, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to learning a language, are actually the most frequent words, the words that that just occur in every sentence, every conversation. You're going to use pronouns and prepositions and short, irregular verbs. And those tend to be some of the last things taught if someone's learning a language because they're not easy to learn. Um, Mm -hmm. So it started with that, using the frequency list, using the most common words in the language and trying to teach those first. And those words are not easy to learn, but what we chose to do in order to make it easier to learn was to put those words in a memory palace. So we have elaborate visual mnemonics and storytelling techniques that we use to teach these words effectively. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, the word por in Spanish doesn't translate into English at all, but we use a visual to represent what it means. It means something like by or near or along or during. And so we combined all of those ideas into one visual, the visual of like a water slide where the water goes slowly down the slide. And uh, the way that that's a mnemonic is that you can think of the water pouring down the slide. And so anytime you use the word por in Spanish, you can think of the water going along the slide or being produced by the slide. And those things are encompassed in the word por. Mm. Yeah, it's a, I love the way that, I mean, the way you've created the whole memory palace with that, that B and the, the story, the way it's kind of, um, yeah, it's just a really different way of going about. I mean, I'm quite into memory palaces and sort of that kind of stuff anyway. So maybe that's one of the reasons why it appealed more to me, but I mean, I wonder what kind of results you've had with people. Have have you had some amazing results with the people that have been doing your courses? We have. Um, the the uh, main qualifier there is it has to be the people who are doing it, who are doing the work, because uh, mm. you know we've worked with thousands of coaching students, and the results from the best case studies are very, very, uh, very good. You can just Google accelerated Spanish review or accelerated Spanish testimonial, and you'll find a lot of. Um, including students leaving their testimonials in Spanish who hadn't known any Spanish ahead of time. So the course does work. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, what you can't always convince people of is that a course is not something they can just pay for and become fluent without doing the work. Mm-hmm. You can't buy the effort that it takes to learn a language. And learning a language is a very hard thing. So we've had the most success with students who have a deep personal reason to learn Spanish. For example, Mm. you're marrying into a Spanish-speaking family, or Mm. you spend significant time every summer in 
Spain. Maybe that's where you spend your summer. Or you have family members or close friends who speak Spanish and you'd like to understand them on a deeper level. These are the types of clients that we found we really want to work with because they are dedicated. And that they tend to be people who have tried other things like Duolingo or um, you know, Pimsler or other things and can see, uh, they can see firsthand that those things are not getting them the results that they want. Those are the kinds of people we want to work with us because if you're already doing the work of learning a language, then that's half of the, that's half of the problem. The rest of it is just using the right technique and devoting that work in the right way. And that's what we can help with. Because the impression I was, I was using Duolingo for a while. I mean, I've, I've sort of toyed with a few different ones. I've tried a few different ones out. I was using Fluent Forever and, and some other ones. And it seemed to me that Duolingo would, it would take a lot of time and you would still have quite broken Spanish. Whereas the impression I was left with, and I, and I must admit, I didn't have a really good reason to learn Spanish. It was more just a sort of fancy idea. I haven't, I may be going to live in Spain in five or six years' time, but not any time in the next few years. But I, um, so I didn't really stick at it as much as I probably could have. But I got the impression with your course that I would be a much more, um, I would be conveying, communicating in a much better way than I would with Duolingo. That is the idea. I think that what it largely comes down to is, you know, first of all, your reason for learning Spanish should be tied somehow to your identity. Learning a language is an enormous endeavor. It's, it's a lot of work if you really want to speak fluently. At the same time, if you don't need to speak on a deep and personal level, things like Duolingo or Pimsleur can be fine because you can learn the little words and phrases that you need to get around in a Spanish-speaking country temporarily. Mm. But the depth of really thinking in Spanish and understanding how the Spanish works, uh, mm. it can really only happen with, I think, with a deep and personal reason to learn Spanish mm. and with an enormous, like, I would say, you know how we all have limited things that we can really focus on. I think mm. that if you're learning a language and really want to learn it deeply and personally, it has to be one of your core values to learn that language. It has to be something you can put focus into and i would say at least 30 to 40 percent of your like currency of focus at the time that you're learning the language and and i get i think you're well from what again from my um it seemed to me that your system seemed to be much more difficult to start with but then there would be much sort of faster gains whereas someone like duolingo or whatever is very easy to start with and so would that therefore maybe turn some people off? I think it would. And it's, for me, this is kind of like the difference between building a house out of sticks versus building mm. a house with a foundation. It's a yeah. lot harder to dig a pit in the ground and, you know, lay the correct, construct the right foundation on which you can build a sturdy mm. building that will last. You get mm. much faster results if you just start sticking some sticks in the ground and, hang some cloth on that or build a tent, um, you will get faster results and maybe you can live in that tent for a few days. Like if you're going to a Spanish speaking country and wanting to get around for a few days, but if you mm. want to live in this house, you have to do the harder work of setting the right foundation. Mm. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I mean, do you have any plans to extend it to other languages? 
We do. We haven't really announced anything publicly. Um, there is a German course that will be developed in the near future. Uh, we can't promise. We don't have any uh, like deadlines at this point for when it's going to go out. But German is my mm-hmm. next language, and it's one I've already begun constructing the memory palace for. Mm. And so, who was it? How do you go about creating the stories? Well, fortunately, in my case, I actually have a colleague uh, who lives in Austria. He's a native German speaker, and mm. he is able to help me with these things because he's a mnemonist as well. He's someone who creates mnemonics and teaches mnemonics for a living. And the way that we tend to create the stories is um, for for Spanish, we did this early on, and for German, we're doing this as well. Basically, mm tackling the project from the standpoint of what's going to be our biggest obstacle. Mm. And first of all, with learning a language, the biggest obstacle is the central grammar and the most frequent words. And Mm. then for learning those words and turning them into mnemonics, the difficulties are certain syllables or certain common sounds that are not common in your native language. So Mm. the example from Spanish is uh, the syllable yen occurs a lot in Spanish. You have bien, tienes, quiero. Uh, You have all these words that have yen in them. And so I just decided when I created that memory palace that the currency that they use in this memory palace is yen, like Japanese currency. And therefore, we were able to make a lot of images that use the sound yen and tie those to the meaning of the Spanish word. For German, we're encountering a similar problem with the syllable ein, and if anybody knows anything about German, yeah, you hear that, you hear that sound a lot. Mm. And so we're actually inventing a fantastical creature called an ein, um, mm. and also an ach. Those are two different creatures that we're going to basically establish. And then anytime a word emphasizes that sound, we just place that creature in the memory palace in that place vividly, and it'll mm. be easy for the learners to remember that that's the sound that they need to make right there. Mm. Yeah, it's such a, a great approach there. I mean, I, when I was looking for, you know, because you've got the not only the books, but you've also got the videos to, to make it more visual as well. It's, um, yeah, I was really impressed with, with the whole thing. Well, thank you. And I know that a lot of your listeners are uh, business owners and people who are wanting to live their best lives and construct a life and we're talking about language learning, but I think a lot of the principles that we're talking about can really apply to any area of life where if you can identify the biggest roadblocks as early on as possible and then tackle those head on, it's kind of like the concept of eating a frog. Um, If it's a language, learn the most frequent vocabulary and the most difficult grammar first, and the rest of the project will be easy because you essentially know the language already. If you're wanting to uh, write a book, Start with the hardest thing, which is establishing the daily habit of writing. Uh, hope, ideally, I think, first thing in the morning, every single day, no matter what you're writing, even if you're journaling. And if you do the most difficult thing first and get that habit down and uh, do the most difficult things first, you'll find that everything else is downhill from there. Because apart, not only um, do you have the book and the, the videos and so on, you, you do personal coaching as well, like online coaching that you with people. Yes, that's right. Um, I don't do the coaching myself. I have a team of native-speaking Spanish linguists who do the coaching for me. 
And is, I mean, how, what kind of results would they get? I mean, how fast would they, obviously it depends on how much time someone has with them, but typically. Yeah, so the normal timeline that we recommend is if you have between one and two hours a day, very consistently to work on Spanish, you can expect to have a significant degree of fluency, meaning you can carry a conversation on most topics in about nine months using our techniques. If you have more like two or three hours a day, uh, we've seen results in much faster. The The fastest that someone became fluent using our program was eight weeks, and he wrote an article about it on Medium. Uh, his name was Ragoff. But then there are Lots of people that we've gotten very good results, they're having conversations with their family in Spanish um, in about four or five months. So I think that the two-hour expectation is the best kind of place to draw the line. If you can do more than that every single day, you Mm -hmm. can bring it down below six months. But if you can't, you're looking at nine to 12 months probably. And what do you find, what, what is it people struggle with? If it, the most difficult thing that people find about learning Spanish? Well, not to beat a dead horse, but it's really finding the time every day. Uh, mm. Many people, and I would say, especially after the first three months, because when you're using the techniques that we recommend, which is starting with the most difficult and the most really rewarding parts of the language, mm. you will find very fast results in the first several mm. weeks. You will be able to have Spanish conversations, and it's going to feel great. After that point, after you've learned the first 500 words or so, you know, each of those words is a significant amount of potential for communication. Each of those early words gives you a lot of uses. Uh, The first two words in Spanish make up 6% of the language. So you're making huge gains. Mm. After that point, you have to learn a thousand more words to get 1% further along in your fluency. And so people's motivation tends to plateau around three or four months in. And so we have many, many students who have gotten to the point that they are able to communicate well and are able to converse, express their thoughts in Spanish, but don't get beyond the intermediate plateau because their momentum kind of fizzles out. And consequently, consequently, that's actually where I've been putting most of my efforts in uh, educating people on the Accelerated Spanish blog and so on, is really, I spent a couple of years working on those materials for getting from beginner to being able to have conversations in Spanish. Now we're publishing articles on how to get past the intermediate plateau and break into advanced, like, um, true fluency in Spanish. One one of the things that struck me when I was um, reading the book was it, I I just thought this would be so appealing to kids, and I wondered whether you'd had any um, communications or conversations with any sort of schools or education authorities or anything. Yeah, good question. We we're beginning that. We actually are not. We kind of want to do some changes to the curriculum, in particular, making more opportunities for assigning homework and for breaking down the lessons into more uh, more parts. Uh, you're right. A lot of kids do love the book. It's very family friendly. It's kind of cartoony and appealing to children. The problems are that it requires enough abstract thinking and use of uh, it. It really teaches some deep grammar in the first couple of lessons. I mean, the mm. first lesson has direct object pronouns like lo, and mm. the second lesson 
has subjunctives. And so it's not something that, uh, without some significant tailoring, would be very useful for kids yet. But that is something that's in the works right now. Um, and uh, yeah, just watch for some exciting developments in the near future. And so going back to, you know, you mentioned about mnemonics. So what other, how, what other areas have you used, have you helped people with uh, mnemonics? There are a lot of areas um, where people use memorization. I think that really every area of learning requires some level of memorization. Mm. And I've, I'm, one of the easiest examples is, for example, um, anatomy. So if you are in medical st- school, you are required to memorize thousands of terms in short periods of time. Mm. Having a toolbox of mnemonics to use for memorizing those things is kind of a, a lifesaver because mm. you can start by learning them by rote or with simple mnemonics, and then they'll stick with you right away. And afterwards, they can develop into full mental models and real ideas of how the human body works and so on over time of experience because of that foundation you laid. Another area is uh, a few years ago, I was working on a project for memorizing the periodic table of the elements. Somehow I got through school without memorizing that. And I thought, well, this would be a nice afternoon project. So I sat down and I memorized the entire table in an afternoon using a system of mnemonics involving numbers and animal names and so on to remember the letters and numbers. Mm -hmm. And I published the entire technique that I used on the Master of Memory website. So if you you just Google periodic table of the elements, Master of Memory, you'll find Mm -hmm. that. Um, Those are two examples of where using mnemonics for memorization can help memorize the basic building blocks of a skill that you're going to learn before diving into how it all works. Mm. And if people want to find out more about your courses and your book and and so on, where's the best place to go? Two places I recommend. um, You can Google Accelerated Spanish. You can go to masterofmemory.com for all of the memorization materials. And then spanish.masterofmemory.com is by far our most popular offering. That's where you can find the Spanish course, the videos, the book, and everything that we have uh, for the public, all for free. And do you have any, um, is there a book that you've often rec- recommended to people before? Yes. So one of my favorite books on how to think in general, uh, not just memorize things, but how to think deeply and critically, is mm-hmm. called Super Thinking. This is a book by, uh, it's by Lauren McCann and her husband, um, Gabriel Weinberg. So Super Thinking Mm -hmm. is called The Big Book of Mental Models. And what it essentially is, is a way of viewing the world and thinking about the world critically of um, kind of just, yeah, I think that there's a lot to say for memorization as the building blocks of how to learn. But if you memorize specifically mental models that will help you see the world in a more critical and analytical way, you can help to avoid pitfalls of uh, intuition where our intuition is often very wrong and super thinking mm. is all about kind of rationalizing the way that we see the world. Mm. That sounds interesting. And uh, do you have a, a quotation that you particularly like? I do. Uh, Dale Carnegie says, knowledge is not power until it's applied. 
And I love this quote because I am in the business of memorization. I think that all knowledge starts with learning basic facts. But then those facts or those little things that you're learning, maybe they're Spanish vocabulary words or maybe they're, you know, mental models that you're trying to pick up, those develop into true power, into true, like, three-dimensional things you can look at and apply once you actually start using them. So if you're learning a language, don't just memorize words. Try using them. Put them in sentences and see how you do. Uh, if you're learning uh, really anything, make sure you can find a way to apply it and it will be that much more real it'll be more memorable and it'll be a lot more fun as well and, and the question is just coming to my mind you see you've had this this thing about really trying to help people learn so was is that because your at school did your was your the, the learning the model that they used maybe was it not so good or what how did this all come about actually so the way that I learned in school was almost entirely self-directed. Um, we, I was homeschooled. I was in a family of a very large family, and so my my mom, who homeschooled us, tended to teach us up to a certain point, and then after that, she would basically give us our materials and just verify that we were learning it well by testing us. I don't know if that works for everybody, but it certainly worked very well for me because I learned that. Instead of having to sit in a classroom for an entire hour on a subject, I could sit down, learn the things I needed to know about the subject, and then make sure I had truly learned it. And if I did, I could save that much more time. And so the idea of memorizing versus truly learning versus, you know, just spending time pretending to learn something, uh, which is how I think a lot of education in the West goes, it really, it's... um it's just shaped my experience of the world that much more. And I grew to love self-directed learning so much that I didn't want to stop. I just kept going into my, uh, well, obviously through college and then into my adult life and up until now. Well, Timothy, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. It's been, um, I, I really would implore people, well, anyone who's thinking about learning Spanish, you really need to check out this book and, uh, and the course. It's a, uh, yeah, you'll learn Spanish in a much better way than using Duolingo. That's a definite recommendation I would give. Well, thanks for having me, Tony. This was really fun. Love it. Thank you, Timothy. Next week is episode 24, and my guest is Nigel Risner, who is a professional speaker who regularly speaks all over the world, and he has been doing that for a number of years and he has a, a very unique style. He's quite direct, doesn't always rub well with some people, but absolutely gems of information and really useful information to help you make that change, whatever that change it is that you're wanting to make. And we're going to hear a lot about monkeys and lions and dolphins and various other things with Nigel Risner. So that's next week's episode. If you know anyone who's maybe learning Spanish or is wants to improve their memory, you should um, get maybe share the episode with them for this week's episode with Timothy. Uh, yeah, some of it may prove really useful. Um, his Master of Memory site has some great information on it, so do go and check out that. You'll find links to all of that in the show notes. 
as usual, I mean, I always forget to mention, as usual, the transcripts of every episode you will find on the um, exceedingexpectations.com or on tonywinyard.com. For each episode, you'll find a transcript on there. Hope you enjoyed this week's show. Please do share it with anyone who you feel will get some benefit. And I'll be back here same time next week. Hope you have a great week. <laughs>